0: We need men to stand up and be who God created you to be. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14 beginning. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask today that as we come before your word, that you would speak to us you would minister to the hearts of men and women, fathers in the room today, and I pray that we would leave equipped to be who you've equipped us to be. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want you to stay with me for just a minute. I feel the feel something, the Lord speaking something to me. I was debating whether to do this or not I was driving home last night from my time of study and prayer finishing this morning and the Lord began to speak to me that in this room today there are those who feel crushed by the calling I want you to listen to me, give me your attention I need everybody to chill for a minute this is important. I feel like God is going to do an important thing here. That feel crushed by what God called you to do. I want to help you understand something very quickly. You will oftentimes be attacked in the area God has called you to. If God has called you to family, the devil will attack your family if God has called you to prophesy the devil will attack your mouth and when I say attack your mouth it will be a struggle for you to keep your mouth pure if the devil has called you to be a visionary he will attack your sight and I feel like there might be somebody in the room, somebody's who is being, who feels buried under the weight of what God called them to. That it's crushing you, that the devil is attacking you. It's it's very similar to Joseph in the palace. He was called to the palace. And where did the devil attack him at? The palace. Through Potiphar's wife. And he was thrown in prison but his calling was the palace are you are you with me but talking to anybody his calling was the palace and Potiphar's wife attacked him in the palace that's the first part the second part is when god calls you to something he gives you something called a burden it is the burden of the lord let me help you understand something you cannot delegate burden you cannot delegate caring more than everybody else cares you you can't there's a frustration i can feel it in the room why doesn't everybody care like i care why doesn't god send people to care like i care there will never be anybody that cares like you care because god didn't give them the burden he gave you the burden and i don't know who i'm talking to this morning but i feel like god is saying to you my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness and today God wants, I feel like God wants to rescue somebody from quitting you could be watching me online, give me this camera, give me this middle camera right here camera two, whatever it is you could be watching me online right now and this could be you I don't, it might be somebody in the room or somebody online but I felt the check of the Holy Ghost before I started preaching that I feel like God might want to rescue somebody who's getting ready to give up on what God called them to wants to give up because you feel buried because you feel like nobody else cares I feel like he wants to rescue somebody can I be vulnerable with you for a minute? This thing that I do, this calling that we have, nobody feels the burden like my wife and I do. Nobody feels the burden like my staff does. You know why? Because nobody else was called to do what we do. And there are days the burden... I I don't say this so you feel sorry for me, I don't need that. I say this because the world needs authentic leaders there are days that this thing is hard there are days that standing up here and preaching is difficult but there is never a day that he's not with me there's never a day that his burden isn't easy and his yoke isn't light and to somebody who feels like you're on the verge of giving up God made me stop this moment right here to tell you yes your calling will bury you yes it will crush you But it will produce an oil in you that could never be produced otherwise. It will produce something in you that never could be produced otherwise. And God put it in you because He can trust you with the burden He carries. Every head bowed, every eye closed, if I'm talking to you, I want you to throw both hands up. If I'm talking to you and you say, I feel crushed. I feel the burden of the Lord and sometimes I feel buried by it. Sometimes I feel overloaded by it overbared by it i feel like god is wanting to reach to somebody right now today and rescue you before you give up on what god called you to stretch those hands high don't be ashamed don't be ashamed if it's you stretch them high stretch them high church look around you you see somebody with their hands raised put your hand on them quickly god wants to help somebody before i even start preaching this morning before i even start ministering this morning god wants to help somebody Father, in the name of Jesus I pray for every person who feels like an outcast for every person who feels like what you've called them to doesn't make sense for every person who feels like what you've anointed them for doesn't make sense father I pray for every person who is under spiritual attack because of the call of God I pray right now in the name of Jesus that that burden begins to lift Lord that that burden begins to become light and your yoke is easy and Father I pray that things that have been locked up begin to be released Lord people who feel called to families to those who are less fortunate to those who are broken Father I pray in the name of Jesus Lord that you would begin to prepare them Lord, I pray for those who feel like Joseph who were in the pit one season then the palace for a moment and now they're in the prison. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give them you would prepare them and you would give them endurance and you would give them strength to endure where they are in this season because the palace is right around the corner. Ah, To some of you who feel like you're in a prison, there's a temptation. Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph dreamed. There's a temptation to lose the dream. There's a temptation to lose the vision. There's a temptation to lose the strategy. But today in Jesus' name, God is restoring the dream to you. God is restoring the strategy to you. God is restoring the vision to you again. Don't lose your dreaming abilities. Don't lose your strategy. Don't lose your vision. The palace is around the corner and God's going to use it. In the name of Jesus. To somebody watching online right now who feels like I'm on the verge of quitting. I'm on the verge of giving up. Put me on camera too. On the verge of giving up. On the verge of quitting. Today in the name of Jesus, I speak life over you. I speak that you shall continue going. You will keep running. You will not grow weary. You will not faint. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He will strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He will strengthen your heart. Your days are not over. Your time is not ending. It is just the beginning. So Father, I pray a release come. I pray an anointing come to bear the burden and to bear the yoke of the Lord that they would run and not be weary against discouragement in the name of Jesus that want to give up because it's hard put your head down get your head in the word get your head in prayer and run after the things of God he will open doors that no man can shut he will bring opportunities that no man can bring in the name of Jesus my soul. in the name of Jesus Father, I thank you that you don't give your burden arbitrarily but you have chosen who you've chosen and you use who you choose Father, in the room today for those who feel unqualified you use who you choose and you don't apologize for it Father I pray in the name of Jesus that their identity would be rooted in you rooted in Christ that they don't have to be somebody they're not they can be who you've created them to be in the name of Jesus, I pray. And the church said amen. And amen. As you're being seated, tell somebody God wants to use you. God wants to use you. You could be seated in the room. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I don't know who that was for. But I know the Spirit of God when I hear Him say things. I know His voice. And I know he needed to reach somebody in that moment. I want to preach to you today about fathers. I believe fathers are important. And we love fathers at the Potter's house. I said we love fathers at the Potter's house. We love everybody, but today's Father's Day. And if you're a, if you're a man, 18 or older, today, as you leave the building... We've got a bottle of Coke and a candy bar for you. So grab one. I say grab one. Look at your neighbor, wives, look at your husbands who are hard of hearing and tell them grab one. My wife told me to grab one because I'm hard of hearing. (laughs) Grab one Coke and one candy bar and then have a blessed Father's Day Uh, today. I bring um, I don't always preach with this but I thought it would be fitting today that I preach with my dad's Bible if you were uh, a part of our celebration service in August of last year you saw my dad gave me a bunch of his well not his but he bought certain things for me but I, and I was fine that service I wasn't crying I thought I would be and then he pulled this out and it was like it unlocked the bottle of tears in the back of my head. Um, because I've as much history as he's got with this thing, I've got history with it too. Because I've seen him read it. I've watched him study it. I've, in days I forgot my Bible, I've used it. Uh, it's in the King James, which is like a forgotten language. And so it's kind of difficult to read, but I go through here and all of his notes are in here. All of his highlights are in here. And on the back page, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today, on on this page in, in First Timothy, he's got sticky notes. And these sticky notes talk about the man of God. And We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But I think it's important that you understand that this is more than just something that means something to me. This should mean something to you because it should... Illustrate what fathers ought to do. I'm not just talking about passing down your Bible. My dad just didn't give me his Bible. He gave me the principles of the Bible. He gave me the instructions of the Bible. And he passed those down to me. So I thought it fitting today that I would have this in the pulpit with me as that reminder. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul begins to speak of an issue that he was seeing in his day that I believe also we see in our day and that is a lack of fathers a lack of fathers both natural and spiritual fathers Uh, how many of you know I just said it a moment ago but God uses who he chooses you do not have to have children in order to father someone in the spirit you got to have a brain and you got to know the word. There are qualifications to being a spiritual father. It's, it's, it's really cool these days to be like, yeah, my spiritual son, my spiritual daughter. There are qualifications that come with that. So not everybody can just be a father. So let's talk about what this looks like. Because Paul was talking about a shortage he was experiencing of fathers in the faith. Uh, this is perhaps due to a lack of knowledge or it's due to little understanding how needful fathers are. Let me share a statistic with you. The statistic states that when a mother comes to Christ, the family comes to Christ 17% of the time. But when a father comes to Christ, the family comes to Christ 93% of the time. When fathers bring come to church, the family comes to church. When fathers come to Christ, families come to Christ. That's why fathers are vital because fathers are shepherds of their home. They are priests of their home. And as the priest goes, so goes the house. Now I've got some things to say this morning and some of you dads are gonna be like, man, it's Father's Day, why are you saying this? I don't care that it's Father's Day. I care that God raise up men who will be men of the Bible and men of his word. Okay, I'm gonna be like that today? All right, we can go, we can do this. Men of his word. So Paul begins by writing, he he says you have 10,000 instructors the word 10,000 here actually studied out he's not really saying there's actually 10,000 what he's saying is is your teachers your instructors are innumerable the word instructors here is defined a tutor a guardian or a guide of boys among the greeks and the romans the name was applied to trustworthy slaves who were charged with the duty of supervising the life and morals of boys belonging to the better class. The boys were not allowed to so much as to step out of the house without them before arriving at the age of manhood. And he said, you have so many instructors in Christ. So many teachers in Christ. We have a load of people who know everything. (laughs) We have a ton of people who know it all. Can I tell you the difference between a know-it-all and a father? A know-it-all is interested in getting his point across. A father is interested in walking a son or a daughter through the process to get to that point. A know-it-all wants to say, well, these are the facts, These are this is what it is, this is what it is, and leave. Doesn't answer any questions. And if they are questioned, know-it-alls are generally insecure. So they want to fight back at questions. Fathers have a grace for questions. <laughs> My daughter is the question queen. And most of her questions are, what if? And most of her what ifs are some of the absolute worst case scenarios. What if a tornado hits our house? She's petrified of tornadoes. And I try to tell her, Jocelyn, we don't have many tornadoes here. Okay? At least in Columbus, Grove City, you know. We don't have many. It's not something you got to worry about, baby. It's okay. How do tornadoes happen? So me, the very best way that I can, try to express to her what happens in the atmosphere to make a tornado. then she's like, what's the atmosphere? Oh my goodness. Where does rain come from? Question after question. And eventually fathers get tired out of questions. I mean, can anybody other father get honest with me in the room today? He's just like, kid, we're gonna have a question room and you're gonna go in there You can record all your questions and we'll answer them later. Fathers have grace for questions. Know-it-alls have no grace. And one one of the overreaching problems today is we've got a lot of instructors, teachers who have no integrity. You know what else we have? Fathers who have no integrity. Fathers who have no character. That their word doesn't mean anything their word does, so, that, so they try to teach but because they have no integrity and character and their word doesn't mean anything nobody is listening to what they have to say and, and so Paul is saying you've got a lot of instructors you have a lot of know-it-alls who want to get their point across but they're not going to sit with you in your pain They're not going to sit with you in your trauma. They're not going to sit with you in your questions. They're not going to sit with you as you try to figure this thing out. They're going to teach and they're going to go away. You're going to be left to handle it on your own. And Paul said, we've got enough of those people. We need fathers who will not just teach but will stand there while you do it and answer questions and walk through it and try to search it out with you we've got to have fathers I remember the first time my dad made me and when I say made me I really mean made me cut the grass and my dad has always been very persnickety about his grass I think I was like 11 maybe or 12 and, and he showed me how to do a few lines, you know, straight, turn the wheel, kind of get, overlap the lines, keep going so you can, you know, straight line. And then he gave it to me and he said, now you do it. If you don't know me, I'm not artistic. I can't draw a straight line to save my life. So how am I going to push this machine in a straight line? So you can imagine how that went. You can imagine how that went. That I would start to go and the line would start to veer, and he'd say, Come back to the right. And he stood out there with me until I did it, until I got it, until it made sense to me. And then, do you know what happened? Once he recognized that it made sense to me, he said, Now you get to cut the grass every Friday. And he released me into my destiny. (laughs) Because that's what fathers do. Dad, how do you start the lawnmower? Let me show you, now you try it. Dad, where does the gas go? I'll show you, then you try it. Dad, what do I do if the lawnmower breaks? Take it to your father-in-law. <laughs> he knows how to fix it. Do you, are you understanding my point? We got a lot of instructors and know-it-alls who wanna get their point across and then leave. But Paul said, you don't have many fathers and that's a problem, it's a problem. Do you wanna know why a generation is turning from the church? And they're saying they're not turning from the Lord, they're turning from the church, which you can't do that. It's his body. If you turn from the church, you turn from the Lord. But do you wanna know why? Because they've got questions and for years, we have pushed off the answers. We've pushed, we've kicked the can down the road. We'll just trust the Lord. I do trust the Lord. But show me in the Bible why we do what we do. Show me in the Bible why we believe what we believe. And because the church has just kicked the can down the road. Now you've got a generation who won't just settle for the generic answer. They wanna know why. I believe we need revival. I believe we need awakening. I believe it will solve a lot of things. But I believe that revival without sound theology creates deception. Revival and awakening without sound doctrine creates deception. And you've got believers, young believers, sons and daughters asking questions. And we can't just say a move of God will fix it. You've got to have a move of God and the word of God to help line up what is happening. Help line it up. So we've got a lot of instructors but not many fathers. This word not many means not much or not plentiful. Listen to this definition of the word fathers. The originator and transmitter of something. One who has infused his own spirit into others. Who actuates and governs their minds. One who stands... In a father's place and looks after another in a parental way. A title of honor, nourisher, upholder. How many of you understand God is father? He, he's the best father. He loves like a father. He accepts like a father should. He honors like a father should. He, he gives access and acceptance like a father should. He is faithful like a father should be. And, and there's, a, there's a movement today that says that God is a woman. In case you didn't know, they're actually trying to say that. And they're trying to use the Bible to make it so. So. God explicitly, Jesus Himself. Refer, first of all, God is a spirit, and they the worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But God identifies Himself. The word is called anthropomorphic. It is giving human nature to God. It's giving human uh, uh, traits to God. He, he He identifies Himself. Jesus identified Him and said, "When you pray, pray our." Our father, not our mother. Oh my. And if you can't see the work of the devil in all this, along with the gender identity and confusion and the push that Hollywood and the push that mainstream and the push that progressive Christianity is trying to make on Christianity as it is, if you can't identify that this is just another attack and the amount of people who are falling into this trap it's no, and the type of people that are falling into this trap. It's no wonder that Jesus said, in the last days, many would be deceived. And if he did not shorten the days, even the elect would be deceived. Even the elect would be deceived. And so we've got to understand that God is a father and he loves like a father. Loves like a father. So let's look at this. Kingdom fathers. What Paul did not do. Y'all with me so far? Stay with me. Kingdom fathers. What Paul did not do. Number one. At the beginning of our text, he says, I do not write to shame you. Number one. Paul did not shame them. Shame defined is to confound, to shame one, to make a shame, to dishonor, to humiliate, to embarrass, or to degrade. What you'll recognize in the succeeding verses is that Paul said, I am a father to you. I have begotten you in the gospel. So there was relationship that Paul had established. One of the problems that we face in our day is men who attempt to be fathers without relationship. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. I'm going to say it one more time. Rules without relationship breeds rebellion. If you cannot have a relationship, then don't set the rules. Because you're going to breed a rebellious son or daughter. One of the other things I've recognized, in my life, I have very few fathers because quality over quantity. I don't need a thousand spiritual fathers. I have my dad. He is both earthly and spiritual. There's nobody better I could have learned from. And then I've got a few others, my father-in-law and a few other men who I consider to be mentors, fathers in the faith that I lean on, that I trust with wisdom and trust with my heart and, my, and, and, and the things of my heart. And then I've had people, listen, who have come up to me probably because I was, can I be vulnerable with you for a minute? I kind of feel a little loose on this Father's Day. Because they saw that my father pastored a, quote unquote, successful church, successful by man's standards and God's standards, it's a successful church, but all they saw was the numbers and the notoriety, and because I was his son, they came and tried to father me because they saw the gift in me. They didn't want to father me, they wanted to control me. They wanted to manipulate me and thank God, whether it's because I'm a terrible texter back or I don't return phone calls very well, or God in his grace just removed them, nothing ever came to be. I think I'll get to heaven and he'll say, when your foot slipped, my mercy held you up. Because there there are men Who want to control the giftings of a younger generation of sons and daughters. And you cannot control what God put in them. That's not what God called you to do. He called you to father it. He called you to nurture it. He called you to invest in it, not control it. If you don't have relationship, don't speak. Is this too hard on Father's Day? That will be really quiet. Paul had enough relationship with the church of Corinth that he could write them and call them, call them things and tell them, if you don't get this together, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said in, in one of the chapters, I believe it's chapter four or five, he said, I heard that a father is taking his son's wife. Don't be stupid. That shouldn't be. That should be. Paul had enough relationship that he could bust them over the head if he needed to. But imagine, if you will, if one of the other church leaders or other church people would have written to Corinth and had no relationship with them. Has anybody ever come and tried to talk down to you without relationship? Anybody? Come on, throw your hand up. Be real. With With no relationship, they've tried to correct you, they've tried to tell you you did wrong, and you're just sitting there like, I don't even know you, bro. I didn't give you that kind of access to my life. Now there is a fine line between honoring your elders. Come on. Honoring your elders, but then also understanding who you give access to. And and, and you don't understand. Can I can I speak on behalf of a generation for a minute? Can I? I'm going to, anyways. I don't need your approval. There's a frustration that abounds when the only thing we hear from other generations is what's going wrong. A deep frustration about, well, I wish we would do this or we should do this, or I don't like this, I don't like this. Meanwhile, people are being saved, people are being filled with the Holy Ghost, people are being healed, people are being delivered, people are being connected. And with, where there is relationship, there can be rules, there can be boundaries, there can be conversation. But if there is no relationship, and all we hear is criticism, how are we supposed to work together? And let me talk to the young people for a minute. If all you do is criticize the old time way, and you spit on anything that used to be, how do you ever think we're going to work together? It is quiet in this Pentecostal church this morning. <laughs> Let me tell you something. This 31-year-old could crack a red-back hymnal right now and let's go. Come on. Some of my fondest memories were Sunday school. And the lessons and the teachers that I connected to and that invested in me. But you've got to understand the difference between tradition and truth. That if tradition is not found in truth, it becomes a trap. And we ought not just do things because we've always done them that way. But young people, there are things that we've always done that still work. Okay. all right. Now that I have removed that from my chest, let us continue. Because I, I haven't fully gotten it off yet, apparently. Because you've got to determine what is eternal and what is preferential. Because not everything that's preferential is eternal. (laughs) I don't think we're going to get to heaven and God is going to chastise me for this screen or for these lights. And if he does, woe is me. What does it matter to you? Woe is me. But I think that's preferential, not eternal. The only thing eternal is found in the living word of Jesus. And if I ever stand up here and teach a doctrine that cannot be backed up by the word, then I expect every mother and father in this church to be in my email and say, this is why what you said was wrong and you need to correct yourself. And this is how we're going to do that. Because young generation, we cannot be above correction. The moment you're above correction, you are now disqualified for being used. Because correction molds you. Correction shapes you. In the most influential years of my life as a teenager, I had a youth pastor. She was amazing. She, she influenced me. Uh, she, she, she called out the giftings inside of me. She helped me to step out in a way that I didn't even know how it was possible for me to step out. And there were several times that she called me into her office and read me the riot act in the most loving way I felt like I, was, I had been cut holes through and I didn't realize until I walked out of the office. But do you know what that did for me? I could have said, she doesn't know anything. What does she have to teach me? But instead I said, Lord, I love your correction. Lord, I, I love that you've put people in my life that I can trust, that I've given access to who can correct me. And do you know what it did? Instead of breaking me, it molded me. And this is not just for the young people, but for the old as well. Older. Love correction. Because the Bible said, he corrects whom he loves. Y'all with me so far? Okay, I'm gonna get back behind the pulpit where it's safe. He didn't shame them. He didn't make them feel embarrassed or degraded. That goes for everybody, not just me. There are sons and daughters all over this church who deserve honor. You say, what have they done? They're made in the image of God. That's why they deserve honor. Hmm. Is this making sense? So he didn't shame them, but here's what he did do. Let's talk about what he did do. Y'all ready? What he did do. Number one, he did warn them. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. He starts out by saying, I'm not writing to shame you, but I am writing to warn you. This word warn means to admonish, to warn, to exhort, to put in mind, to caution, to reprove gently. Acts 20 and 29, Paul, uh, Paul, rather, standing before Ephesus in the church, there he says, For I know this after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away uh, the disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. Dad, what was he warning them of? He was warning them of false teachers. He was warning them of false doctrine. He, you know what I'm beginning to realize in, in my short tenure of pastoring this church? And it's not necessarily people here, but it's just I've become more aware of my surroundings in society. This, when, when they prophesied a famine of the word, we're living it now. We're living it now. There is a famine of the word. And can I encourage you? Can I implore you? Will you listen to your pastor? I'll get down on my knees and beg. Don't just read the Bible, study the Bible. Okay, to the five people. Study your Bible because the Bible was not written to America. It wasn't written to America. It was written for us that through the patience and the comfort of the scripture, we might obtain hope. And there are people who have built doctrines on things that don't mean what they think it means because they haven't actually studied the word and paul said i need to warn you that when i leave that false doctrines false teachers wolves are going to come from out and then men are going to come from within and they're going to draw away the disciples And and you can't be drawn away by false teaching if you are convinced in the truth of his word. You can't be. You can't be. And there are people who have taken their liberty with the word of God. You can't take your liberty with the word. The word, they say, well, the word contradicts itself. The word interprets the word. Every jot, every tittle, it is true. Every one of them. They're not just stories, they're truth. They're not just principles, they're truth. And Paul said, I'm leaving, but I've got to warn you, false doctrine and false teaching is coming. And I am, I am persuaded and I'm also very concerned because today, more than ever, false doctrine and teaching is available at the drop of a hat. I've told you this before. In, in the Bible days, in order for a false teaching to be perpetrated, they would write letters. Some of them were like extracurricular stories of Jesus about his other escapades and other stories. Uh, some of them were just generic writings. And then what they would do is they would sign them the apostle's name. They would sign them Peter they would sign them Paul. When in reality, Paul and Peter never writ them. But you can imagine taking a letter, walking, riding a donkey, riding a horse. It takes a while for that letter to get there and then it takes a while for it to get passed around. And then it takes a while for it to get back to Paul to know there's a false teaching happening. So by the time the false teaching has happened, it's already being circulated and people are now starting to believe a lie. Y'all with me? But here's what happens. Because our society is so quick. I've been guilty of this even this week. We read a headline and we make a whole truth out of the headline. Because we don't have time to sit and read a document for five minutes. Anybody else? Sometimes I just scan the headlines. And I recognize, you know, this week I'm scanning headlines and none of these headlines are the whole truth. You want to know what's what's more dangerous than a lie? A half-truth. And, and, and so, now, today, because of TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, social, you name it, social media, anybody with two fingers, an email address, and can put a password in, can spew any sort of false damning doctrine that they want to spew and millions of people will watch it within the course of 24 hours and many of them not many of them because they're not in the word cannot determine what is a true statement from the word and what is a false doctrine we believe everything we hear everything we see and we take no time to say what does the word say I warn you, he told Timothy, his son, in the faith, he said, the time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine, but you preach the word. What was Paul's action against false doctrine? It was commanding Timothy not to preach his decisions, not to preach his preferences, not to preach his opinions, but preach the word. He said, I'm warning you. So, so as a father, as fathers, we must warn our children. Warn sons and daughters. There is a devil, a wolf, and wolves after their soul. You know, I, can, I remember uh, Jocelyn, I think she may have been like three. She just turned six yesterday. It's been a party time this weekend in our house. My son turned two on Friday. Jocelyn turned six yesterday. Today's Father's Day. It's been quite a time, right? So she was about three years old and, and my wife, uh, I was here and my wife had taken Jocelyn um, to a store and got her out of the car and Jocelyn's feet hit the ground and she was off. It's just the kind of child she is. She just, she's gone always. Hit the ground and she was off in the middle of a parking lot and Damers grabbed her and pulled her back and said, you know, with, with great motherly authority, Don't ever run in the parking lot again. Anybody ever said that to your children? Yes, everybody in the room. Don't ever run in the parking lot again. Years would go by and multiple times when we're getting out of the car, I would tell my kids, when you get out, you stand here and you don't move. And my question queen, Jocelyn, says, Daddy, why don't we run in parking lots? (laughs) Ha! This one's easy. I can answer this one. I don't know about the atmosphere thing, but I can answer this one. Because if you run in the parking lot and you're not watching or paying attention, or better yet, the person driving isn't, you could get hit and die. Oh, we got real quiet. And, and here's the thing. She listened because I warned her of what could happen if she didn't listen. And we need fathers to warn a generation that if you don't pay attention, if you're not in your word... Going out into social media world is like going into a parking lot and not paying attention. You could get hit by false doctrine and your whole life could be completely ravaged because you didn't pay attention to what you put in front of your face and let in your heart. I'm all, I'm, listen, I'm all for listening to sermons on YouTube. I'm all, I do it. I'm all for listening to podcasts. I do it. But I am not all for doing that and not making sure that what I'm listening to aligns with the word of God. Is this all right this morning? It's a little bit different than the last couple weeks, but that's all right. So he did warn them. Colossians 1, 28, him, we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Number two, he did lift up. Verse 15 of our theme text, he said, For in Christ Jesus I've begotten you through the gospel. This word begotten means to father children or cause to arise, to excite, or lift up. First Thessalonians 3.2 And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you. That word encourage means to strengthen or comfort concerning the faith. Fathers who lift up their sons and daughters offer their sons and daughters a perspective their fathers never had. Last week, if you were here or you watched online, do you remember I put my six-year-old little girl on my shoulders. And I didn't want to overwhelm everybody because I had so much I could have preached just right there, but I felt like I did what the Lord said. But do you know something different about being on my shoulders? She could see better. I should have asked her, Jocelyn, who's on, who's on their phone while I'm preaching? Fathers have the unique ability to pick up their sons and daughters and show them something from a different perspective. One of my prayers as a father is that when my children, they already are, but when they reach the maturity of running in their calling, that wherever I am is the floor. I don't want to be the ceiling to my children. I pray the same for, for, for those that we have influence with and those that, that connect with us, that we have the opportunity to invest in. And Father, as, as time goes on, that, that they will stand on us as a floor. That doesn't mean I quit rising, but as far as I go is where they'll start. I want that for my kids. I want that for our sons and daughters in this church. You should want that for our sons and daughters. That where I finish, they start. Can I tell you, can I, fathers for a minute, and mothers, top of that, can I share something with you about spiritual sons and daughters and even natural sons and daughters? You cannot raise them and race them. You can't raise them and race them. You can't compete against them. Can I tell you something? If you you have a spirit of competition when it comes to the things of God, you, you, are in, uh, you are in direct opposition to God. And you're not in his kingdom. Do you know what a competition is? Competition is let's see who can be in first place, right? Nobody competes without wanting to win. Unless you're odd. Some people just play games to play games. When I'm playing a game, I'm coming for blood. I want to win. <laughs> it's probably just part of being raised with two other brothers who are very much the same way as me. I won most of those competitions, but... I have the mic, they don't this morning. It's always a competition in our family. Uh, we were in a text thread the other day. I can't remember what we were talking about, but Aaron uh, sent back and she said, I love how this family can make anything competitive. <laughs> Do I got any other competitive people in the room? Right? Competitive in, in the natural, playing sports, competing, things like that, that that's, that's great, that's fine. When it comes to the things of God, you wanna be, in, in the natural, you wanna be in first place, second place is, a, is just the first loser right so you want to be in first place you want to win and people take that mindset and they come into the kingdom and they come into the kingdom with that mindset that i want to be the best i want to be better than the church down the street i want to be better than my neighbor and the fact is you're competing for a seat that's already taken there's only one seated on the throne there's not several thrones around and there's only one seated on the throne he is king he hasn't fallen off nor will he ever So as generations, if we're in competition, we're in the wrong kingdom, baby. You can't raise them and race them. Got to raise them and release them. So he did, he lifted them up. Number three, he did live as an example. 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he said, therefore I urge you to imitate me. The word urge is to encourage, to instruct. He said to imitate. Be an imitator or a follower. What are your children, natural and spiritual, going to imitate about your life? What example are you setting for them? Can I help you understand something? Paul, this is one of two times that he uses this phrase imitate me in the book of Corinthians the second time he makes known who we're actually imitating in 1 Corinthians 11 1 he said imitate me as I imitate Christ so at the end of the day my children are not imitating me I hope they're imitating him through me so imitate me can I help you understand something your children are going to imitate someone They're going to imitate somebody. Your children, whether you like it or not, will be discipled by someone or something. Let it be you who disciples your children. Uh, It's awfully quiet in here. Because we have pushed discipleship off on the schools. We've pushed discipleship off on the church. On the youth pastor who gets your child for an hour and a half. Fix them. Baby, you get like every other hour in the week with them. You fix them. I'll never forget being a youth pastor and people coming to me and be like, can you help my child? Can you help my child? I'm like, sure, with the hour and a half that you give them to me, the one time of month you bring them. Whoops. (laughs) The one Wednesday you bring them a month, I'll try to fix them. Don't worry about it. Call me Bob the Builder. We can fix it. You are the first leader your child will ever have. You're the first teacher your child will ever have. They will imitate somebody. Let it it be you that they imitate. As long as you're imitating him. They're going to be discipled. They're going to be disciples. Uh, I don't want to be that guy this morning, but I'm going to be that guy because I feel like God is really calling parents back to the design of God. We are letting a corporation who is shoving gender identity, LGBTQ plus agenda down the throats of our children, and we sit there and say, "Here, watch this." For hours on. I'm not against TV time. I'm not against screen time. Let me tell you something. I had a revelation the other day. This right here is going to be well advanced by the time my children become my age. This is probably, it's going to be what the world kind of looks like. So they need to know how, how to operate this a little bit. But not without parental involvement. Not without parental control. And not unlimited Uh, I know I'm old school, I know I'm antiquated, I know I'm outdated a little bit in this. But we are letting corporations who don't give a rip about your children's eternity disciple them. They don't care where they spend eternity. They just care that their agenda gets out. And not only so, oh walk heavy for a minute, not only so, but then they watch their parents sit and watch movies with same sex relationships and and same sex sexual conduct. And their parents sit there and watch it and laugh and have a good time watching it. So now the child thinks, well, because mommy and daddy are doing it, it must be okay for me to do it. Let me help you understand something. What one generation tolerates, the next one will embrace. Who are they imitating? Because I look at our society and I can tell you there are not many imitating Christ's fathers in homes. Uh, You're going to get to eat and have Father's Day here in a little bit and you can forget all about me. The fact is this, God is displeased and God's heart is broken for an entire generation of sons and daughters who are just going along the way with nobody to say where you're going is going to lead you to an eternity of torment. And and you know what? It's entirely possible to do it all from a place of love. Entirely possible to do it all from a place of love. Paul said speaking the truth in love. True love is not going to let you go to hell without saying anything. True love is not going to let you live in sin without saying something. If I love you, I ought to speak up. I don't say it condemning. I don't say it in, in a condescending way. But I tell you, according to the word, there's going to come a day of judgment. And if you are not found in the book, you're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. If you're not in the book, you're going to spend eternity in hell that was created for the demons, not for you. Why would God? Why would a loving God send people to hell? This day I lay before you life and death. Choose life. Why would man not choose to be with a loving God? Hmm. So, so he was an example for them. Paul was an example to them. And then he he said, "I urge you to not. I'm not just an example. I don't want you to imitate me, but I'll, I want you to remember my ways, my conduct, my thinking, my feeling, my deciding." Paul sent Timothy, this is what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1, Corinthians, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 beginning. This is so important. If you're a man of God or a woman of God in this room, you need to go read these scriptures and study them and, 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 and be what they're saying. These, this is the, the verses that right here on my dad's uh, Bible, he's got sticky notes. These are the verses right here because this is what he aspired to be. This is what he aspired to be. Listen to this. But you, O oh man of God, flee these things. We're going to talk about what those were because they came in the preceding verses. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ appearing. What does the man of God flee from? Number one, you can find it around verse seven. The man of God flees from unwholesome words. The man of God doesn't talk like everybody else talks like. The man of God doesn't joke like everybody else jokes like. I, this is... See, some of you are like, well, this is legalism. I feel, your, I feel your kickback today. You don't have to sit here and pretend. Some of you are sitting here, wow, this is just so antiquated. This is This is the Bible the word of God, true and enduring forever. <laughs> and, 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 and so, flee from unwholesome words. I don't laugh at everything everybody else laughs at. I don't watch everything everybody else watches. I don't listen to everything everybody else listens to. Ask me why. Thank you to the one person. I said, ask me why. Because I wanna be a man of God. And I wanna be used of God. Listen. And I want to be an imitator of Christ. Could you imagine Christ saying any of the words that people say today? Pastors, that get in pulpits and curse. Could you imagine Jesus trying to get his point across by cursing? No, but we wanna do it to appease man and to be accepted by man. And meanwhile, as hard as we're trying to please man, we are losing the pleasure of God. So they flee unwholesome words. Listen, This is important, especially for where we are today. They flee uneasiness due to discontentment. In other words, they learn to endure. I'm not going to quit just because it gets hard. I'm not going to stop giving just because we're in recession. Oh, it's awfully quiet. I'm not going to quit tithing just because we're in a recession and gas prices are $5 a gallon. I'm not gonna quit serving the Lord even if they close churches down. I'm not gonna quit singing. I'm not gonna quit worshiping even though I don't have the best voice, even though I don't have the best understanding, even though I don't have the best gifting. I'm not gonna quit just because it got hard. I won't do it. He said, they flee uneasiness due to this And then in verse 10 of 1 Timothy 6, we all know it, the love of money is the root of what? All evil. The root, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil. They flee an unhealthy attitude towards money. I don't know what it is about men. We just have got to have money. And the more we have, the better off our family's gonna be. Paul said, I've learned to be content with all things. In all things, whether I had much or I had little, I learned to be content. In most times, what I've seen, the times I've seen that men make decisions based solely on money, it ends up tearing their family apart. I'm just telling you what I've seen from experience. That may not be a truth across the board, but from what I've seen, men that make decisions solely based on money, it ends up hurting them because they love money more than they love God. And the love of money is the root of all evil. And the love of money shows a heart that doesn't trust him. So they flee that. But, but then he said he follows after. Pursue. What does he pursue? Righteousness. Right standing with God. Godliness. Living a life that pleases God. Holiness. For without which no man will see God. In Hebrews is what the Bible said. Faith. Love. Endurance. This is a big one in the room today. Humility. Humility. How low, it's like a, a, a game, what is that game called? The, say it again, because I can't hear you. Limbo, thank you, I appreciate that. How low can you go? That's really the name of this life that we live. He that is last shall be first. Come on. And Jesus washing the, the king of all the earth, low washing the feet of his disciples. How low can you go? How humble can you be? You know, back we did, uh, Chris and I, David, you can go ahead and come on out. Chris and I, Pastor Chris and I did the live stream opener this morning and we we asked some questions to one another about being dads and being fathers and, and one of the things that was asked was, what was one thing that your father taught you? And my answer was, my father taught me the importance of three things, integrity, character, and humility. Do what you say you're gonna do be who you are even when nobody's watching and be the lowest person in the room be the lowest person in the room I remember coming up as a young man whenever I would go into meetings I would not say anything I would would not talk much unless I was asked because I remember a story about my grandfather one of the things that everybody said about my grandpa my papa Oldfield was that he was a quiet man. He had been on boards. He had sat on every board Princeton Pike Church of God had to offer. Every one of them. He was probably more qualified to speak than most of them were. But every meeting he went into, he was quiet until somebody asked him. And I remember I took that to heart one day. That as long as I can help it, every meeting I go into, I just want to absorb. I want to absorb And also better to keep your mouth shut so people think you're smart than to open it and prove them wrong, you know. But more than that, I wanted to be the lowest one in the room. I've walked into a lot of meetings and I can honestly say I love the staff that God has surrounded us with. So I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about other meetings I've been in the staff of this church the board of this church so I'm not even referring to this church but I've been in meetings where I walk in and there are people who just want to talk because they love to hear themselves talk and they think that what they have to say is the most important thing to say and they have no life to back up what they're saying they don't live what they're saying and I made a decision I'm gonna every room I walk in I want to be the lowest And now, as the leader, I don't really get the luxury of walking into meetings and not talking. I wish. I don't really get the luxury of walking into meetings and not talking. But I'd be present. I Listen. Integrity. When my wife and my kids leave the house, I am at home alone who I am in this pulpit. I'm not looking at things I ought not look at. I'm not talking to other women behind my wife's back because I made a covenant with her. She's my one and only. You know, people say, well, I mean, it was just a text conversation. You opened up a door in your heart. It was just a message. You opened up a door in your heart. Jesus said if you look on a woman with lust you've already committed adultery integrity character I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do so long as I can help it I'm going to be who I am in front of you in front of my family when I'm behind closed doors by myself the man of God pursues these things pursues these things so very quickly I've got, got to help got to help you How do you become a kingdom father? You say, pastor, I hear all these things you're saying, these are great, I wanna be that, how do I do it? Number one, you've got to make a decision. None of these things happen without intentionality. You don't just wake up one day and your body automatically just start living the word. Do you realize how against the word that is? The flesh is in opposition to the spirit. You wake up and you command your flesh, you will. Obey the word of the Lord. You will love your wife. You will love your children. You will be faithful. You will be here. You will be consistent. You will be constant. You tell your flesh you will align with the word of God. you got to make a decision. Because all of these are just concepts and theories. If you don't make a decision to say, I'm going to take what the preacher said today and I'm going to do it in my life. You make a decision to be transformed. Romans 12, 1 and 2, be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. Because your mind is in opposition to the Word. Your flesh is in opposition, so it has to be renewed to align with the Word of God. Galatians 2 and 20, Paul said, I die every day. What's he saying? Every day I get up and make a decision. I'm going to imitate him so those behind me can imitate me. Number two, become a man of prayer. You know, I watch when we call prayer gatherings the amount of women that show up compared to the amount of men. I love so much, and I'm going to say this, and, and there may be a handful of you that know what I'm talking about. I love so much when we're in the presence of the Lord and He's moving and the groan hits the room. He prays through us with groans that cannot be heard. The groan hits the roof. And you know what I've recognized? A lot of times the groaning that's happening in the spirit are women. There's nothing wrong with that. But my God, I wonder what would happen if, if there were some men that buried their face in the altar and began to groan before the Lord. And let the spirit, I'm telling you, I, I pray that the weep of God come over the men again. That it's not the women in the altar crying out for children and crying out for this and crying out for revival, but the men come and weep and the groan returns to the men. You cannot replace a man who prays. Elijah was standing on the mountain uh, where, the, where the fire had just come down and the Lord had told him rain is coming and there was no rain in sight. What did he do? He didn't go to his handbook. Uh, he didn't pass it off to another woman to come. He got down on his knees on top of the mountain and he put his face between his knees and he told Gehazi, I'm going to pray, you go check for the cloud." What was he teaching Gehazi? He was teaching him that when God says a word and you haven't seen it manifest in the natural, get on your knees, put your face to the ground and begin to pray. Jesus took his disciples into the garden and taught them how to pray. Pray that God would raise up men who love to pray, who aren't bored by prayer that prayer is not just something you do if you have nothing else to do but prayer is the lifeblood of your life Mm. And then lastly stand on your feet and in fact while you're standing I want all the men to come to the altar with me quickly, quickly I know I've kept you a little long today thank you for your patience your grace for me all the men come on down the last thing I want to tell you how do you make a decision it's twofold you make a decision to be a spirit filled man to be a spirit filled man Can I tell you something? This is going to sound weird to some of you. I'm 31 years old. I won't tell you my dad's age, but he just had a birthday. But to this day, to this day when I hear my dad speak in tongues, something in me leaps. Something in in me comes alive when I hear him pray in the Spirit. Not just him, when I hear other men begin to pray in the Spirit, something in me comes alive because I recognize there's something powerful about a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just to be filled with the Holy Spirit once, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again. Until you overflow. So what happens, come here Donovan, come up here for a minute with me. So what happens, when you've got a younger generation that needs to be warned, what comes out of you is not you, but the overflow of the Spirit. And because He's filled with the Spirit, and I'm filled with the Spirit, and I've got relationship, I can warn Him and He won't be able to say, well that's just your opinion. Something in him will say, I know that spirit. That's the spirit of the Lord speaking. I overflow so that I'm not pulling on myself to raise a generation, to pull up a generation, to lift them up. I'm leaning on the spirit to put a generation on our shoulders and to let them see from a perspective they'd never seen. Thank you. so here's what I want to do I want every man down here to lift your hands and I'm going to pray over you ladies I want you to stretch your hands this way especially if you've got a husband or a son in this altar and I'm going to pray over you that God would raise up fathers that God would raise up not more instructors but more fathers church pray with me father in the name of Jesus I pray for every man represented in this altar I pray for the generations that they represent the seed that they represent and father I pray over them that you would give them a grace to be what not many are fathers spiritual fathers Lord, I pray for those who are, who still have children in their home. I pray that you would grace them with the ability to lead by example, to be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Lord, that they would make a decision to be transformed. They would make a decision to be different. They would make a decision to walk in integrity, to walk in humility, to walk in the things of God, to walk in the call of God. Lord, that they would not be caught off guard and blown by every wind of doctrine, but they would be men of your word, men of your spirit, and men of integrity and humility and character. Father, I pray for the men of the potter's house that you would transform them into the image of Jesus from glory to glory, that they would look more like you tomorrow than they do today. That they would look more like you on Tuesday than they did on Monday. A revelation of your son and a revelation of you as father and a revelation of their sonship. We give you honor, we give you praise And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, Amen. And Amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together. Give Jesus.